You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Scripture reading, 2 Kings 5, 15 to 27. Okay. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he, but he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, if not, please let that be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For, for from now and on your servant will not offer bond offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said, see, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian, in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord leaves, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and lay them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. And he sent the man away, and they departed. He went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. This is God's word. Well, as I said, we're picking up from a story from last week. Uh, well, let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. 
Our Father, we come before you this morning grateful for the opportunity to hear from you in your word, and we ask that your spirit would enlighten us, that you would speak to us, that you would take this word and apply it to us in ways that only you can, that you'd minister to us according to our need, bring us to repentance where that's needed, bring us to be a people who offer praise rightly and who respond to your grace, to your kindness to us in Repentance and faith, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So our story this week begins again with Naaman, with Naaman, this commander of the, the army of Syria, and he's offering a gift to Elisha. Right? Elisha has just told him to go wash in the Jordan River. Naaman's just been cured of his leprosy, and this is amazing. He's, he's wanting to respond with a, with a gift. He's trying to give something in response to this great grace that he's received uh, through Elisha the prophet from the God of Israel. He wants to give a gift, but Elisha won't have it. Right? Elisha is adamant that he will not accept any gift from Naaman. Why, we might ask. What's the big deal? Naaman's just been healed. Right? Naaman's just received the one thing that he wanted more than anything, right? the restoration of his health. He's, he's got it. He's got this thing, and he's trying to respond with a gift. He's trying to respond. Could he not offer in return for this great healing that he's received something, something to the prophet, something as a matter of gratitude uh, to the God of Israel who had, who had performed this healing for him? Well, Elisha refuses. What's going on here? Why is it that Elisha refuses any gift from Naaman the Syrian? What's going on? Well, there's good evidence, if we're paying attention to the details of this story, that Elisha, throughout the story, has been doing everything that he can in his interactions with Naaman to avoid giving any sense that Naaman is receiving healing from him, as though he were some magician that he could go to and pay for some healing and then get, get the healing in response. He's, he's doing everything that he can to be careful with Na- in response to Naaman, to not, to not give any sense that this healing is given as some kind of a business tra- transaction. Um, he's giving every, every opportunity for Naaman to see and to understand that Naaman is not in control. Okay, this is not a problem that he can fix with his wealth. This is a problem that will only be fixed by the grace of God. By the grace of God. And perhaps Elijah knows, Elijah knows something of how prone Naaman is to understanding God's grace, as I think many of us are. Uh, to, to understanding God's grace, God's healing intervention in our lives as yet another transaction. Among a thousand other transactions that we get in life, you get what you pay for. Commanders know this. So certainly a commander like Naaman would know this, that you earn your place, that nothing's given, nothing's nothing's free. And this life, this whole life, can be understood as something of a series of transactions. You do something good, you get something good in return. You you, you have to pay for for, for what you get. And Naaman here, in his great point of need, as a leper, as, as a social outcast because of it, Naaman here, in this debilitating area of his life, he has no control. He has absolutely no control over his life at this point. In spite of his wealth, in spite of his power, in spite of his capabilities and competencies, still he is a leper, and he can't change that for himself. He's an outcast, and he's dying. He's dying. And again, there's nothing that he, in his own strength, can do about it. 
But maybe there is, he thinks. Maybe there is something that he can do. He hears about this prophet in Israel who can perform healings. If there's a prophet who performs healings, maybe, maybe he can earn his way in. Maybe he can by his prowess. Maybe he can obtain by his wealth. Maybe he can purchase his healing. He can do something now. He can do something. But Elisha will go give no such illusions. Again, as we saw last week, he won't even greet Naaman. He won't perform any impressive act of waving his hand over the spot as Naaman wants him to. Uh, and this is all much to Naaman's disappointment. And instead, Naaman is put in a situation where he needs to humble himself before the God of Israel, to humble himself, to trust the word of someone he doesn't even know, someone he hasn't even met, and do something, well, something that he considers ridiculous, something embarrassing, going down into the waters of the Jordan and washing himself. But he does. He does. And he's healed. But now in response to this healing... It seems that he wants to respond with some form of payment, or it could be understood as a payment in response. And again, Elisha refuses. And what I believe Elisha is making clear here, by refusing to accept anything from Naaman, is this. That God's grace is free. His grace is free. It can't be purchased. God can't be manipulated into giving us the things that we want. His grace is free. It's given freely by his own free grace. His grace will not be bought. His grace is not transactional in that way. That Naaman can't buy his way into God's favor, but the healing of God is given freely. And instead, Naaman finds himself utterly dependent. And so it is with us. So it is with us. Some of us, I guess have a difficult time with this, with this understanding of the freedom of God's grace. And maybe especially those with perfectionistic tendencies. You want to prove that God did the right thing in giving you grace. You want to you show yourself to be good enough to have been a recipient of God's grace. You want to prove yourself to God that in response to God's grace, we, we live in such a way that we can say, ah, God made the right decision with me. And giving me the good things that he's given. He's given. But, but, but here's the thing. God never gives grace to anyone on the basis of what God will get back from us. Never. Never. God's grace does not work that way. Instead, he gives freely. And the lesson that Naaman, and, and perhaps some of us, need to learn is that grace comes not to the wealthy, Okay, not to those who have, not out of our abundance, whether that's uh, material wealth or, or, or um, moral uprightness and just having an abundance to share with others and with the world around us. It's not out of our abundance that God gives. It's not as though he gives to people in order that they might be able to give a whole bunch in return and make the world a better place and contribute. But instead he gives to those who are poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, says Jesus. Right? Those in our poverty who recognize our deep need for grace. This is the person to whom God offers grace. It's to the poor in spirit. It's to those who recognize that they have nothing to give in response to God's grace. Nothing in and of ourselves. No way that we can make amends or merit God's favor. He gives to those who recognize our utter dependence. 
And I think this has everything to do with what God required of Naaman, to humble himself, to recognize his dependence, that he had nothing to offer, nothing to offer, but only to receive according to the sheer grace of God. And so the question is not whether we will compensate God for his grace, but whether we with Naaman will humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and become like a child. Will we receive God's grace as a free gift, no strings attached? Will you? Our story goes on in verse 19, the second part of verse 19. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. My master has spared this Naaman the Syrian. Naaman the Syrian, the foreigner, the oppressor of Israel, this enemy of Gehazi's land and people. Naaman has been spared, Gehazi says. Spared from what, we might ask? Spared in not accepting from his hand what he brought. You can hear Gehazi's concern here. Naaman should have paid. He should have paid. He was spared from something that he should have done in response. He was spared from paying what he should have paid in response to the healing that he'd received. Healing shouldn't be free. Gehazi knows this. This is his sense. Grace demands some kind of a payment. And maybe, maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you're prone to feeling the same way. When someone around you, maybe a friend, or maybe, as in Gehazi's case, maybe an enemy. When, when, when an enemy receives something good, is spared from having to make the payment, to make the sacrifice that he really or she really had to make or should have made. Maybe you can think of somebody in your life who has wronged you, uh, who's done something that would be very difficult for you to forgive. That person deserves not, that person should make a payment. They should make a payment for what they've done. Maybe you can think of somebody in your life who represents everything that you loathe about, say, the present cultural climate or the political spectrum. And so doesn't deserve to be treated with grace. They too should make a payment. He should have paid. She should have paid for the grace that each received. And in this, Gehazi is exposed as yet another man who misunderstands the grace of God. See, it isn't just Naaman the outsider who thought God's grace and favor had to be earned or paid for in some way, but it's Gehazi the insider too. Gehazi, the child of God, the the disciple of the prophet, the right-hand man of Elisha. And some of us here, uh, maybe in particular those who are insiders to the church, have become like Gehazi, entitled, believing that if others are going to experience the grace of God, forgiveness, healing, kindness, it'll only be because they've proved themselves worthy somehow. And this is especially the case when we think of our enemies, isn't it? Those who have wronged us. They need to pay. They need to undergo some kind of judgment to merit their forgiveness. But the story of Naaman says otherwise. 
While Gehazi thinks his enemy to be undeserving of God's free grace, God extends forgiveness. To this enemy of Israel, God extends forgiveness. To this one who has obviously done wrong, God extends forgiveness. And he's extended the same forgiveness to you and to me, the God of grace. We are not as good as we think we are. More duplicitous and deceitful, selfish and sinful, lustful than any of us would like to admit. And God, but God, has extended grace to you in your need, at your point of need, at your point of weakness, at your point of sin and rebellion. God has extended grace to you. Well, at this point, we've seen that both Naaman and Gehazi are prone to understanding God's grace in a transactional manner. You earn what you, what you get. That God gives grace and we return some favor. When God gives grace, we have to pay for it. And Gehazi goes further. Not only is grace transactional for Gehazi, but we see something of the result of this impoverished view of grace in his next actions. In verse 20 and following. See, says Gehazi, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And Gehazi said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. Uh, and just to be clear, this is a lie. Okay. This, is not, this is not what his master has said, in case you're thinking that you missed a part of the story. And Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. Right? Naaman gives him everything that he's asking for. Now, remember, Gehazi is an Israelite. Okay? He's not a pagan like Naaman. Uh, he's, he's, he's one of the covenant children of God. He's the prophet's right-hand man. But Gehazi, we find here, there's still things that he wants. He's got desires for basic things, good things, financial security, nice clothes, and all the comforts that come with them. And Gehazi here sees an opportunity. He sees an opportunity to be able to get these things. He can get these things. This is his chance. Right? Here's this wealthy man who's come and he's offered these things to them. Elisha has refused and Gehazi has an opportunity. He says, no, I... No, we, I want these things. And maybe you've experienced such an opportunity in your own life to get something that you wanted. And the only thing that stood between you and that thing that you wanted was just, just a little white lie. Right? Just, just, a, just a small deception. It's not going to hurt anybody. Uh, but if you could just, just spin the story in a certain direction, then you can actually get the things that you want. You can get the things that you feel you need. Right? A little lie. It's not a big deal. It's not going to hurt uh, Naaman. And, but this could get Gehazi all the things that he wants. Silver and gold and clothes. It's not a big deal. And the question is, well, the question is to us. Like Gehazi, what are the things that you're after? 
What are the things that your heart desires such that you can set aside for the moment what God requires of you, what God asks of you, you can set that aside for the moment because there's something else that your heart desires, something else that you're really after. And what are you willing to do to get it? Are you willing, like Gehazi, to lie, to be deceptive in order to get the things that you want? Maybe more uh, practically where it might uh, take place is, are you willing to be harsh with your spouse or with your children in order to get the things that you want? Right? They're, they're getting in the way of some basic thing that you need, something, something that you want. Uh, are you willing to, to manipulate, to deceive in order to get what you want? Are you willing to cut corners and to gossip in your workplace, to manipulate there too in order to get the things that you want? Are you willing to go against what God says because there's something else that you really want that your heart is after? Are you willing to do it? And in a case-by-case scenario, some of these things are going to seem quite small. A little lie. A little manipulation. It's not going to hurt anybody, is the way that you might feel. But what we find here in this story is that these things are not small. And we'll see this in the response of Elisha, the response of the Lord to what Gehazi has done. They're not small because it's not really about these things. I mean, these things are bad in and of themselves, but it's not just about the lie. It's not just about the gossip. It's not just about the manipulation or the corner cutting. But it's about your heart. It's about what you're after. It's about what you're loving more than God in these times. And it's not just Gehazi. This is me, too. I, too, am prone to this. I, too, am prone to using the gifts of God in my life to get the things that I'm really after. And sometimes, even in a way that means setting aside what I know the Lord would have me do, and instead pursuing the things that I want, to using my position, uh, to using my power, my place in the church, to get the things that I'm really after, whether that's prestige or, or a sense of purpose or some sense of acceptance or respect. I stand exposed. I stand exposed as one who hasn't really loved God the way that I'm called to love God, but has instead loved other things and have been willing to set aside my love for God in pursuit of other things. And, and what about you? What is it for you? Gehazi has used his position and status as what we might call a churchman, the prophet's right-hand man to get the things that he wants. He's been willing to break covenant to get the things that he wants. And friends, the Lord will have none of it. We see in verses 25 and following. He went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to Gehazi, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. Kind of a childish answer. (laughs) Nowhere, nothing. But Elisha said to him, Did not my heart go go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. This sounds intense, maybe extreme. 
I think the reason why the Lord deals so severely with Gehazi here is that Gehazi is again obscuring what was supposed to be plain for Naaman, namely that God's grace to him is given freely. It's given freely. Make no mistake about it. It's given freely. Not because of a payment you can make. But Gehazi is also, I think what's also heinous about this, is that he's also using God as a means to another end. Using his standing with God to get, again, the things that his heart is really after. And friends, again, the Lord will have none of it. He'll have none of it with Gehazi. And he'll have none of it with us. Because if we're honest with ourselves, all of us, we're not so different from Gehazi in this story. We've all been willing to compromise in one place or another, whether large or small, whether public or private, whether things only known to us or known to others, that we too have not lived good and faithful lives, not completely, but have also chosen to reject God in these ways in order to get the things that we really want, the things that our hearts are really after. And again, in these ways, we too stand culpable. We stand culpable of the very things for which Gehazi is condemned for. Therefore, we're told, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. This is a severe indictment. And again, I'd suggest it's an indictment that falls not just on Gehazi, but that we too are related to it. That this leprosy shall cling to you, Gehazi, for this sin of yours and to your descendants forever. But the good news this morning, to all who are like Gehazi, who have gone our own way, who have rejected God and God's ways in pursuit of our own way, there's good news. And it's this, that though, like Naaman, we too have a great disease, not leprosy, but sin, rebellion against God, treachery, that we too, like Naaman, have one on whom our disease has been transferred. That this, this, this disease of sin has clung to another on our behalf. That not to, Gah- not to Gehazi, as in the case of Naaman, but to Christ, the true Israelite, the true son of the covenant. So that even while you and I persist in doing what's wrong, we persist in loving others, loving other things more than we love the Lord, are even willing to lie and to manipulate in order to get the things that our hearts are really after. Even time and again, when we try to make it up to the Lord, to give him some kind of payment in response, try and pay God back for our sins, the Lord's response to you and to me is much like Elisha's response to Naaman. He will have none of it. Why? Why? Because Jesus has already paid this price. The great transaction has already been paid. He's paid for your sins and mine. Your rebellion and mine. He's taken the leprosy that we deserve. The sin, the, 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 the destruction that we deserve. Has removed it from us and from our descendants forever. By suffering something far worse. And allowing this disease to cling to him even as he's on the cross. And then, by being raised again from death, in victory over the power of sin and death, he sets us free. 
And his grace is so radical, so free, that it even extends to a pagan like Naaman, who given his life situation, it's interesting, you may have picked up on this, recognizes that he will fail. Okay, it's not just that he's, he's cleansed but he, but he, he, and, and turns to the God of Israel, but he also recognizes that he will fail. He, he realizes that given his life predict, predicament as a servant in Syria, that he will fail, probably for the rest of his life. He'll continue to have a failing, bowing before this God, Rimmon. And so he comes, he's troubled by this. He comes to Elisha, and he asks him if, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord will pardon your servant in this matter. Right, he's asking Elisha, I have, I have this, this trouble before me, this weakness, this area that seems like it's going to be a problem and it's going to be unforgivable in some way in my life. But I know it's coming. Is God's grace sufficient to cover even this? And Elisha, speaking as the mouthpiece of Yahweh, the God of Israel, says to Naaman, go in peace. Go in peace. I don't know what burdens any one of you is carrying today. I don't know what trials you will be facing tomorrow. But I do know that the God revealed in the scriptures of Israel and in the face of Jesus Christ is a God of grace, of radical grace. And it isn't transactional. It's not on the basis of what you're going to do to, to perform in the future. He gives freely. And to all who follow the pattern of Naaman, humbling themselves in simple obedience, washed by simple water with the word, there is grace forever in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you with sins of all kinds, burdens of all kinds that we carry. Matters of disappointment that we honestly do wonder whether, whether these things separate us from you and might separate us from you. Whether you are disappointed with us. Whether we might be cut off from you and from your grace because of our sins. And we're grateful for this story of Naaman and Gehazi and Elisha that communicates yet again in your word. That you're a God who's for us, who gives to us freely, and to whom we owe our entire lives in response. Father, help us to respond rightly. Not out of duty and payment, but out of a sense of responding to your great love for us, poured out in Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.